Folks, we're back. It's the Detroiter covering sports in the Motor City in the Minton State. I'm your host, Nick Bradley, presented by the Second String. Hope everybody's off to a nice little start to the week here. Hope you had a good weekend. Hit a bender myself. Hit a bender in Austin, Texas. I'm still fucking feeling it. It's not so much being hungover. It's more like physic, physical exhaustion. Um, it's also sleep deprivation. I, I feel... I don't know. I know Navy SEALs, they get like three hours of sleep a night. I've said it once. And if this weekend proved anything to me, it's that I should be doubling down. So I'll say it again. I think going on a bender may be more difficult than becoming a Navy SEAL. Or at least three days of Navy SEAL training versus three days of a bender. It is fucking tough to do. It is tough to do. And as soon as you cross the age threshold of like 2021, it becomes a whole lot harder. Like you think it's tough then drinking three days in a row? Try being 24 and drinking three days in a row. You can't. You can't do it. I knew I was going to be there three nights. All my friends and I, and we got there. First thing we said, we looked at each other, disappointment, regret, embarrassment in our eyes, really. We looked at each other and we said, damn, I don't think we can go out tonight, fellas. I mean, we got two more nights, not counting this. How are we going to do that? If we go out tonight, how are we going to do that? And we got plans for those nights. We're just going to go out for the hell of it tonight, make ourselves hungover, get bad sleep, stay out late. There's no sense in that. We're all reasonable people here. Didn't even go out one of the nights. Still absolutely brutal. I mean, brutal, brutal. Yesterday, the brain wasn't even working. Just, just. I was like weekend at Bernie's if the grandpa in the wheelchair was still alive, but I did the same thing. I'm wearing glasses. Like people are moving my body for me. I'm not talking to anybody, but the only difference between Bernie, I think I've never seen the movies. I would assume the guy in the fucking wheelchair is Bernie. I would guess maybe that's a bad assumption, but the only difference between myself and that guy in the wheelchair in the movie, I'm I'm not actually dead. He's dead. I'm not actually dead. Felt dead. Wasn't. Could have been dead. Could have been mistaken for dead. Wasn't. Um, brutal, though. We're here now, though. We're here, and it is the biggest week of the year, my friends. It is the biggest week of the year. Michigan. Michigan State. Top 10 matchup. East Lansing, Michigan. 7-0 and versus 7-0. and Everything's on the line for both teams. Everything is on the line for both teams. When's the last time we've been able to say that? Michigan fan, Michigan State fan alike, you gotta just enjoy, just savor a little bit this week. I know the shit talk gets amped to 11, right? I know people on the internet are the fucking worst, um, but you gotta enjoy the hype, the positive hype. Like the people that, no, there are normal Michigan fans, real life people who don't hide behind fucking fake pictures on Twitter. There are normal Michigan people, respect right? Talk to your friends that went to Michigan. Talk to your relatives. Like that genuine hype, the positive hype where there's a little tension. There's a little tension. It's friendly, but you also want to fucking kick their ass. You hope their team gets demolished. I've never experienced anything like this in my life. I mean, the last time, the only time it's been really close to what we're experiencing this week and what'll go down on Saturday is the trouble with the snap year. Michigan, I want to say, was ranked like 13. I can't remember exactly. And I think State was 7 or, or 8, something like that. That's the only time we've been really close to this in my life. And here we are, top 10, top 10, right? Kind of 
altering storylines as far as the head coaches go. Mel, year two. Harbaugh, year seven. And they both have everything on the line. They both control their fate. In a year, I know everyone's saying now, oh, Ohio State figured it out. They turned it on. They're going to kill both these teams. I'll be honest with you. I'm not so sure I buy that either way. Um, I think this is the best chance Michigan's had to beat them since Jim Harbaugh took over. State, I like – if you told me we played Ohio State this weekend, I like this team's chances more than I like that team's chances in 2015, and they got it done. I think that Ohio State team was better in 2015, and I'll be honest with you. I'll be honest with you. I think this offense, especially you consider we didn't have Connor Cook in that game, I think I like this team with Peyton Thorne better than that team without Connor Cook, and those guys got it done. Yeah, weather played a factor, Zeke's a pussy, all that good stuff too, but that's where I'm sitting right now. So this game, everything's ahead. You win this game, you're in the fucking driver's seat. You're in the driver's seat for the Big Ten. You're in the driver's seat for a college football playoff berth. And then once you get there, I know we see we saw what happened with State, right? And they're going to say that no matter who gets in from the Big Ten, if it's anybody but Ohio State, the national pundits are going to come in. This team's going to get cream, whether it's Michigan, Michigan State, Penn State, whoever. I don't give a fuck. Just get in, dude. Once you get into the college football playoff, there's a reason you're there. You, you, you've beaten good teams with elite talent. That's a fact. You get in there, I don't care if you're Michigan State, I don't care if you're Rutgers. If you get into the college football playoff, that means you've beaten Michigan, Penn State, and Ohio State, all three teams with elite-level talent. So you've seen the type of guy you're going to go up against in the college football playoff. Yeah, Bama's a different animal. Yes, Georgia's a different animal. Bama lost to an unranked team, though. Why am I supposed to be, oh, we can't beat them? Why would I ever think that? Why would I ever think that? Especially if they lost to an unranked A&M. Come on now. You win, you're in. Now we're playing March fucking madness, baby. Anything can happen. That being said, now that I I gave a little tease, we got some blue balls cooking. We're going to hold off on all Michigan State, Michigan chatter until the Thursday episode. All right. This episode's going to come out on Wednesday. I told you, Austin Bender, I couldn't physically, I I couldn't do it. I couldn't get my brain to record a podcast yesterday to drop today. So, or on Tuesday, I should say. Um, so this one's going to come out Wednesday, and today we're just gonna, we'll do a little bit of Lions. I just want to talk about Dan Campbell some more in that Rams game, so we'll do a little Lions. We'll do a little Red Wings, and we'll do a little bit of Pistons. So this one should be shorter today, but I want to hold off all Michigan, Michigan State stuff for the Thursday episode because I'll tell you right now, that Thursday episode, it's going to be nothing but Michigan State and Michigan. There will not be any mention of the Lions. There will not be any mention of the Red Wings. No mention of the Pistons or the Tigers. It will be 45 minutes to an hour talking Michigan. Talking, how does Michigan win the game? What's what's on the line for Michigan? What happens to Harbaugh if they win? What happens to Harbaugh if they lose? How do I think MSU can beat Michigan? Right. What's on the line for State? What's on the line for Mel Tucker? What's on the line for recruiting between these teams? Whoever wins, do we really think that it's going to be an hour Talking about this game, talking about the biggest game, honestly, the biggest game outside of like the college football playoff or Big Ten championships game, the biggest regular season game that I've been alive for. We're going to spend an hour talking nothing but the only game that matters this week, and that's Michigan, Michigan State. So for that reason, right, there's still some stories. There's a couple Pistons things I want to talk about. 
Um, I want to do a little bit of wings and a little bit of lions. So I figured why well, like jam them all together where it's kind of fucking random that we got a lot. I mean, Michigan and Michigan state overshadow and overarch anything that's going honestly to me, anything that's going on nationally in sports this week. Right. And they absolutely overarch anything that's going on in Detroit sports this week. So we're going to give them their own episode because I could talk forever about fucking college football, especially those two schools. And today we'll do a little bit of Detroit stuff. All right. So we're going to take a quick break, come back with the Lions. We'll do a little bit of Red Wings, a little bit of Pistons. Call it a day. Gear up for Thursday, baby. Gear the fuck up for Thursday. I want to start with Dan. Um, the reason is, I, 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 even though the Lions lost, they went to 0-7, you could kind of feel, even though they started off real hot, as hot as the Lions could possibly start. I mean, they broke that streak of not, not having an offensive snap with a lead. Dan Campbell did some more stuff that made me excited. He did some more stuff that made me think, you know what? Even though this season fucking sucks, even though it'd be easy to say like those bums do at Woodward Sports and 97-1, it'd be easy to turn and say, oh, this guy stinks. He's not the guy. He, he despite being a dumpster fire of a team and being 0-7 and having every reason to be a detractor, he still does stuff that makes me go, hey, well, I like that. Hey, that, that's going to work. He makes me believe, even though they're 0-7, even though all the moves he made this week against the Rams, all the fancy, tricky stuff he tried to pull didn't work in the end, he still makes me believe. He still fires me up. He makes me want to come out here and talk about him. He doesn't want. I don't want to come on and talk about the Lions. I don't want to come on and talk about the game and talk about Swift had a real nice game and is a fucking dog, which I've been saying for weeks it feels like. I've been saying, give that man the ball yet they refuse to for whatever reason. Um, I don't want to talk about the players. I don't want to talk about how Jared Goff stinks. Jared Goff seems to be getting worse. Jared Goff, the week after his coach, kind of calls him out and says, hey, Jared needs to play better, and I believe he can. Doesn't play better. He throws interceptions that bury the Lions at the end of the game. He misses throws that are like seven-yard throws that fucking anybody could make, to be honest with you. Like, I hate to pick on him. If you followed along, if you followed along all season, you'd know. I was I was never a golf guy like, oh, we're going to win a ton of games. Fuck no. I don't think anybody was. But I was a golf supporter, maybe a golf apologist. I don't know what the proper word is. But I was a, I, it, when it came to him, I would say, you know, he's not great. He's not going to go out and win you a bunch of games on his own. He's not going to do what Matthew Stafford did for 12 years. But you surround him. You give him a nice O-line. You give him a bit of a run game. Defense, you know, is okay, which the defense has been okay, better than expected, I would say. Yeah, Jared Goff can win a few games. That was my preseason thought on Jared Goff. That's where I was at. Yeah, he'll win a handful. Like, he, the O-line should be good. They should run the ball. O-line's been pretty good. They have run the ball pretty well, especially just for Detroit Lions standards. And he's fallen short. He has not been able to deliver. And it's not like he's missing 40-yard bombs or a 20-yard laser in a window. It's like, man, it'd be cool if when DeAndre Swift is wide fucking open on a three-yard drag, our quarterback could hit him with it. That'd be sick. 
that'd be awesome. That would change our offense. We probably wouldn't need to pull two fake punts in one game if our if our QB could hit a six-yard curl for a first down. It would be unbelievable if our QB didn't just turn around and, and hit the fetal position the moment Aaron Donald takes a step. It would be immaculate if Jared Goff once, one fucking time, once, I'm not asking him to be Michael Vick. He doesn't have to be Russell Wilson. If one fucking time through seven games, it would be unbelievable if one time he tried, not even successfully, just tried to avoid a sack. It would be incredible. I honest to God don't think I've seen him even attempt to get away from a sack. A guy, he sees a dude shed his block. That guy might be five yards away from Goff still. He might be shedding his block five yards away and Goff, let me just turn around for you. Let me just give you my back and I'll, you know what? I'll just go to the ground too. I haven't seen him once this year attempt, attempt to make a play with his legs. I know. You're not Pat Mahomes, Jared. That's fucking okay, dude. But guess what? You don't have to be Pat Mahomes to try, right? Like, you know the rules of football. You've been playing in high school, college. You know when you hold the ball and the defender tackles you and you lose eight yards, that's a really bad play. That's about as bad as a play can be for an offense short of a turnover. Yet, every single time, the threat or a possibility of a sack occurring happens, Jared Goff, if anything, makes it easier. At least stand there so maybe they hit you in the head. Stand there, maybe they dive at your legs. Maybe they just tackle you too hard and take a penalty. Stop being a fucking pussy, Jared Goff, and just go into the ground the moment someone breathes 10 yards away from you. Can you do that? Just attempt. It's driving me nuts. Like, I... I know, again, I know Goff's not the reason they're losing games. He's part of the reason for sure. That's clear to me now. I don't think he's the primary reason. I don't think he's the only reason. But, dude, you got to, like, give me an effort, bro. I That's my thing. I can watch you. It's tough. It's fucking difficult. I can watch you miss five-yard outs. It's tough. It's tough to know that you're making 20 mil a year and you can't complete a five yard out and I can go in my backyard and do it with my eyes closed. And that's not even hyperbole. That's tough. For sure, that's tough. But I can do that. I can bear that. I can live with it. You know what I can't fucking live with is when you don't even try to avoid a sack. At least when you throw those ducks on six yard outs that my nephew who's like one year old could make. At least when you throw ducks on those, I'm sitting at home like, all right, he tried to make the throw. He just stinks. That's fine. You can't change that. This guy's arm is brutal. His his reads, the way he dissects a defense, I don't know if he knows the playbook. He just misses guys that are wide open. He chooses to throw to cover guys, and when he does, he still spikes it into the ground three yards in front of him. You know what? At least he's trying. At least he's throwing it. He just stinks at it. But when, when a guy's coming after you, anybody can run. You don't need to have a fucking cannon strapped to your body to run, okay? Anybody can move their feet. Yet every single time, there is even the threat of danger. There is even the threat of a sack. No effort. No effort to make something out of it. That I can't watch. That's what pisses me off because you watch him choose. You watch a guy get loose and you watch Jared Goff choose to go, 
I'm just going to lay down, dude. I don't really want to get, I don't want to get tackled. I'm just going to, oh, Aaron Donald shed his block. All right. I'm going to just fucking take a knee. I don't run away. Nah, just try. I know you're not Michael Vick. Just try. Matthew Stafford did that shit. He wasn't Michael Vick. He's not the most athletic guy in the world. He fucking tried, right? When he had to, when nothing else was available, he wasn't just going to sit there and go, I'll take a sack. Fuck no. What kind of competitive attitude is that? And I think that's what Dan Campbell's looking at probably more than anything. Yes. Yes. It's infuriating that an NFL quarterback can't complete a five-yard out. It's infuriating. I can't say that fucking word. It's infuriating that on key fourth downs, multiple key third and fourth downs over the course of this season, you watch the playback and there are like two different guys running wide open in front of his face and he chooses to throw it to the wide side of a field to the covered guy. You can't even complete the three-yard pass. Why are you trying the 10-yard pass? Yes, that's infuriating, but when Dan Campbell called him out, I think he's looking at more of, hey, Goff, I know you're not – you don't have the best arm in the NFL, dude, but you can fucking move. You can try, but you don't. We're trying to win games here. You deciding, yeah, you know what, I'm going to take a sack isn't doing us any favors. You're not Tom fucking Brady. Tom Brady sees a guy come and says, ah, don't feel like getting hit. He can take the sack. One of those reasons also being because on the next play, he'll probably get that yardage right back. You don't do that shit, Jared. If you made up for it, fine. You don't. You don't. And if it's game on the line, I promise you Tom Brady's not taking the sack. So Jared Goff said I didn't want to talk about the team or the play. Here I am nine minutes later. Jared Goff, I'm running I'm running thin with him. Like I'm ready. Switch it up. I can't do it. I can't do it. We had an onside kick. Think about this. Dan Campbell talked about stealing possessions. Had an onside kick and two, two <laughs> fake punts that worked. An onside kick and two fake punts that worked. Three times the Rams should have had the ball and we kept it. Two fake punts. Two. Both of which I believe at least led the field goals. Two fake punts. And we only scored 19 points and an onside kick. We had 19 points with three bonus possessions with at least those two fake punts being the reason we got points out of those. We had 19. That won't cut it. I think it's time. Get get Goff out. I'm sorry. I know he makes a ton. I know he's part of the trade. I know he was in the Super Bowl. Get him out, dude. Get him out. If I was on the team right now, Hawkinson, an old lineman, Swift, if I'm on the defense, anybody, if I'm fucking selling tickets for the Lions, I'd be sitting there right now like, Damn, it's that we got to do something. Like people are starting to get to that point where 0 and 7, this season's cashed. What's the point? Um, Jared Goff stinks. Yeah, we keep throwing him out there. Like you're getting to the point where, yeah, you've had some close games, two games you should have won. Yes, the team fights. Yes, they're competitive. All that said, I I think they were more competitive with the Rams than I anticipated. Like I, I thought they were going to get fucking killed. But at the end of the day, as competitive as competitive as you are, as close as the games are, as much fight as you have, you're 0-7 and your quarterback clearly, clearly cannot get it done. Clearly cannot get it done. Clearly. It's not even a, oh, he does some nice stuff in there. He does it's this guy is not like this, it's not gonna work. It's time to make a switch because guys are gonna start quitting. I mean, 
the fans, I it's tough, but you know, we're Lions fans. We're, we're used to this shit. People on the team are going to start quitting. Coaches are going to start. Hey, th what's the point? This guy, I could prepare my dick off as long as this dude's playing quarterback. What's the fucking point? It's time to switch it up. Give David Blau a go. He's frisky. He did some good stuff last year. He fucking throws it over five yards. How's that? How's that? He'll throw it past the first down marker. That would be fun, right? Give Blau a chance. All that said, all that ripping done. I enjoy that Dan Campbell, he knows what he's working with. He knows the team stinks. He knows the season's over and there's nothing and the he's losing the fans. He's losing everybody. He's under he's aware, dude. He's aware. He's still trying. He's still calling onside kicks. He's still calling fake punts. He is trying. He knows. You know what? If I go out here and just play a straight up game with the Los Angeles Rams. We're going to get fucking murdered. <laughs> so I'm going to have to steal a few. I'm going to have to run a couple fake punts. I'm going to have to do an outside. He's trying. He's fucking trying. And you know what else has become sad? Until this week, those fourth and shorts, he's just leaving the offense. Now he's like, dude, we're better off letting our fucking punter throw the ball. We're better off letting our punter throw the ball than Jared Goff. I, I it's time, but I do admire Dan's trying. That's all you can ask. I said it when he cried. I can't, was it the Vikings game when he cried? Listen, people are going to make fun of him, this or that. The team stinks, whatever. I like that he cared when he cried. I was like, damn, this guy fucking cares. And I know that's kind of a ridiculous thing to say, but sometimes, and there are a lot of coaches in all sports where it's just, I'm like, do they care? Like they're getting paid three million, whatever. They're getting paid a ton of money. So yeah, by default they care. But do they like at me emotionally actually care? Right? It's tough to tell. Dan Campbell cried. I was like, hey, I know he cares. Game like this where they should get fucking trounced by the Rams, especially Matt Stafford, probably went into that game like, I'm gonna kill these guys. Dan Campbell cared. He could have just rolled over. He could have said, all right, we're going to go out there, run it on first and second down, try to throw it on third, punt it, um, and that's it. And we'll fly out of L.A., we'll be sad, we'll lose again, whatever. He could have just taken that approach, just the regular let's get this thing over with approach. He tried everything he fucking could. He wanted the win. He wanted the win. He tried the win despite his players. He knew. He went into that game. Those play calls, when you go for two fake punts, that's that's the ultimate sign like, hey, man, this offense stinks. Defense isn't great either. We got to figure something out. Like I just said, there's something to be said for all year you've been leaving the offense out there, and now you're like, we're better off running a fake punt. He tried. He tried to win in despite or in spite, despite, whatever. He tried to win despite the lack of talent he has. He tried to win despite the fact that Jared Goff is his quarterback. He tried, and that's all you can ask for. You get him talent, right? The ball's on Dan Campbell, the want to win. I love the fact that he doesn't play not to lose. He's playing to fucking win. You get some talent with Dan Campbell, you get him to call a game like this Rams game, they're going to be wins. They're going to be wins. He's going to win games in Detroit. That's what I learned Sunday. I learned that Jared Goff truly is not the answer, and I learned that Dan Campbell is going to win some games. He's going to win some games. You're going to get some talent, and next season – if they start next season and you're 1-0, and 2-0, 2-1, you start on positive notes, guys are going to – they're fighting now. You think they're trying their asses off now? You think they're bought in now? Wait till you're not 0-7.
Wait till you don't have to call 15 fucking trick plays a game to still lose by nine. See how bought in they are then. See how hard the Detroit Lions play then. Guarantee you this, the wins are going to come. And I think Dan Campbell's the guy. Let me take another quick break. We'll do Red Wings. How about them Red Wings? Talked about them a little bit last week. They dropped a couple fucking whatever. Call it a jinx. Call it my fault. I don't care. They won again against Chicago this week and murdered Chicago. Sure, Chicago might be the worst team in the NHL. It's hilarious. <laughs> I love that rivalry. I still, it still fucking annoys me that um, that they're not in the same division. Like how 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 do you just break? That's like college football saying, you know what, Ohio State and Michigan, you're just not going to play each other anymore. How do you do that, NHL? How do you let that happen? I love, I love when when Detroit plays Chicago. And you know what's funny about it? I love when Detroit plays Tampa. I like when they play the big boys. I like when they play, I don't want to call them rivals because it's not even close to the level of Chicago, but I don't know, like Tampa's kind of a new age rival, right? Like I fucking hate losing to those guys. They were kind of the main proponent of the downfall of the Red Wings. Right. Um, but there's nothing that hits quite like the Blackhawks. And it's funny because the Red Wings stink and the Blackhawks stink. Yet, give me the rivalry, give me the game where it's two just dog shit teams against each other because their games seven years ago in the playoffs were fun versus the, the Stanley Cup champs versus knocking the big dog off versus playing spoiler. Nah, pass. Give me the give me the dog shit teams. I love Chicago, Detroit. Um, I also got to say, big report came out on Chicago today. Fucked up. Don't want to talk about it. Very fucked up. I I, I don't understand how hockey-wise, Chicago added so many pieces this offseason. Tyler Johnson, Flower, Seth Jones. Like they Their offseason regime, what they did this offseason – screams, you know what? Let's be good. Let's try to make a playoff run. Let's fucking try our best. Let's do everything we can in free agency and through trades to make this team better. <laughs> and they're worse. And they're so much worse. I don't think they've won a game. I don't think they've won a game yet. They went out and got Seth Jones, one of the best blue liners in the league. They got Tyler Johnson, notorious Red Wings killer, notorious just grinder on so many good teams. They went out. And they who who did I just mention? I forget I'm forgetting the third person I just mentioned. Who the fuck did I just mention? Taze is back though. Taze is back. Seth Jones, Flower. They got a Vesna winner in net, and they're worse. Unbelievable stuff from the Chicago Blackhawks, ladies and gentlemen. Now, even though their team blows, even though they're one of the worst in the NHL, if not the worst, um, their organizations in complete chaos, turmoil, you name it, they stink. Even though that's true, and the Red Wings killed them this weekend, I think it was Sunday night, I still, watching the Red Wings play, they just look better. This is what I said last week. Yeah, it's fun. Like, they won a couple games. They were 2-0-1 for a bit there. Raymond scored his first. I think Cider, I don't know. I think he's still waiting for his first, if I'm not mistaken. I could be just an idiot. Um, but... They were, they were scrappy. They're getting in fights. Just fucking punch it. You board them, you're getting a fist of the mouth. Like, they were playing a brand of hockey we haven't seen the Wings play in a long time. But despite the numbers and the wins and the stats, what jumped out to me as you watch them play, and especially that first line, the top two, 
you watch Larkin, Bertuzzi, and Raymond play, anytime they're out there, the guys are fucking buzzing, man. They are absolutely buzzing. Bertuzzi, the way they work together, finding each other in scoring areas, finishing. I mean, Lucas Raymond has been lethal. He gets the puck in a scoring area. It's like a 50-50 chance that bitch is going in the net. That move, his first goal, that move he pulled on Flurry, just the subtlest, the, the tiniest little fake. <laughs> and he stuffed the shit out of it through Flurry's five hole. A thing of beauty, right? Bertuzzi just coming out of the quarter, fucking like somehow knows Raymond's right there, tape to tape, quick move, Gino, right? Larkin. On the power play, that cross-seam pass, Raymond one-timer blast off, that's in the net. The way they're playing, like the way they look is just better, right? They could be they could be scoring goals and putting up points and this and that and have it be sloppy, have it not look pretty, have it not look good, have it not look like they're you know better than the guys they're playing against, but that hasn't been the case. When they play, when that first line's out there, every time it's like, okay, these guys might fucking score. Anytime they're out there, I'm like, all right, but we'll see. They might score a goal. I mean, it's awesome to watch when talented guys get to play with other talented guys. And this is something that's been plaguing the Red Wings for this entire rebuild. Like people have complained about, oh, why is Larkin like he's not a one C? Where's the where are the numbers? Where are the goals? Larkin's been playing with fucking bums a lot of the time, dude. Anthony Mantha half the time was just like, eh, I don't really feel like it today, right? Bertuzzi has been hurt the last year or two. Larkin's been playing with nobodies. And then immediately, it was funny last year, you stick him with Phil Phil Zadina, all of a sudden those two guys are just buzzing everywhere. That's crazy how that works. You put a talented guy with other talented guys and they seemingly both get better. That's how that's fucking supposed to work. And that's now what we're waiting on the second line. I think Pew Suter's been good. I think he's been an upgrade, although he hasn't really gone crazy on the stat sheet. I think another guy, just watching him, I think he does a lot of good things. Um, I love Fabry. I think he's good. I'm surprised the second line hasn't produced as much because Suter, Fabry, Zadina, like they should score some goals. They're they're capable. Like Fabry can score kind of out of nowhere. He's been pretty good at that. He's got a good shot. Zadina's got a good shot when he puts it on target, and Zadina surprised, I think. As a playmaker last year, he can be kind of a maestro. I'm surprised they haven't scored as much, but I've seen a lot on Twitter. You look at the advanced analytics, which, full disclosure, a lot of those stats, I'm looking at them like, what's up? Like 97% don't know what this stat is. 93% don't know what this stat is. But you look at the advanced analytics, Lucas Raymond for the Red Wings. Lucas Raymond is up there. Mo Sider's up there. They've been two of the better players all year. Phil Zadina's like ahead of Raymond, I want to say, for a lot of the advanced stats. Doesn't have the points to to show for it, but he's been doing good things. And it was the same fucking thing I said last year with Zadina where it's like how, it's almost to the point where it's like, how is he not scoring? He's in dangerous areas so often. He's setting up good chances so often and they're just not finding their way into the net. It's like becoming an anomaly that he's not stuffing the stat sheet. But again, he's got the analytics. He's around the goal. He's around the puck. He's in the right areas. It's going to happen. And I think he is a guy, too, that when the likes, maybe a Joe Valeno gets a little run with him when he comes up, inevitably, I think Valeno will be up before season's end. Um, Maybe when the likes of a Jonathan Bergeron are ready to play in the NHL, 
maybe when some more of this young talent we have where it is skill talent, it is offensive talent, it is creative playmaking, maybe when more of this talent, not so much guys like Pew Suter, I think ideally he's probably a third center. He, 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 when, when we can get guys that can fill and slot properly where Pew, it's not like he's playing above his pay grade and you can get Zadina with guys that get him the puck. You can get Zadina with guys that know where to be when Zadina has the puck points are going to come points are going to come. And it, it couldn't be more of an example of you need talent to play with talent, right? Like there are guys, McDavid, you could put him out there with a couple of mops and he would still be a point of game guy. Guys like Zadina, when you're not fucking McJesus, I mean, the dude's name is literally McJesus. When you're not named after the leader of Christianity, you need other guys to help you out, okay? You're like an apostle, like 12 apostles. You know, Moses, was he an apostle? I don't even know. If he goes off on his own, you know, he's nothing special. He needs his other 11 boys with him. That's kind of like Philip Zadina. And I think that's more of the guys. Fabry, too. Fabry needs a guy who can get him the puck. But the Red Wings have looked better. Most cider has been incredible. Um, Nick Letty's fun to watch. He skates so well. It's mwah, beautiful. Um, Phil Ronick, though. Phil Ronick. Mm. What's going on, bud? This is what, year three, year four for Phil? What's going on, buddy? You're just bad? What are we doing, Ronick? What are we? Do- You're like a guy who was penciled in. Hey, this dude's going to be on the second defensive pairing. And I'll be a good player at the second defense. What's going on with Phil Ronick? That's a little alarming. I don't love how he's just bad all of a sudden. It has been electric to see that the two bright spots, the two things we most look forward to coming into the season in Raymond and Mo Sider, they've lived up to the hype. They are as billed. I mean, Mo Sider's been so sound defensively. He's got, what, five points in six games? He's been awesome. He's been awesome outlet passing, breakout passing, running the power play. That's another thing that it's – you're watching the power play and it's Raymond, it's Larkin, right? It's, I don't know, Fabry, Zadina, whoever. And then Mo Sider is the guy pointing it. They're like, hey, kid, you run it. A 19-year-old kid or 20, whatever he is. How about you just be in charge of the power play? That's beautiful to watch. And you know what's even more beautiful is that it fucking works. I – have thoroughly enjoyed Mo Sider. He's been knocking people down. He's been good defensively. He's been kind of scrappy. Victor Hedman, when we played Tampa, I think the uh, opening night, he didn't give a fuck. He was trading shots with Vic Hedman. That's a big fellow. That's a, it's got to be tough to be a 20-year-old coming to the NHL and the biggest, baddest, best defenseman in the in the league is trying to fuck with you and you, you go right back at him. That takes some nuts. Love that out of Sider. He looks to be as advertised. Raymond, I mean, you can't say enough about him. He's going to win the call there. Seven points in six games. He's filthy, dude. It feels anytime he gets the puck in a even remote scoring position, I'm on the edge of my seat like this is going in. If he shoots it, it's in my mind that shit's in the net. Every time, every time his shot has been unbelievable. That release on the Larkin one time or the other night, the quick move to beat Flurry the other night. Um, his first goal where he just came down the wing, took the pass from Larkin and fucking ripped it. Lightning release puck was on his stick for maybe 0.2 seconds. He looks to be maybe better. That was me knocking on what dare I say better than we had anticipated. Like we knew, and I think we expected as fans, 
he would come in and he would have a laser and he would score goals and he would be that guy that it feels like the Red Wings have been missing for years. A guy who can go out and get you 30 a year, maybe 40 a year. We knew that's what we expected. We knew that was kind of his shtick. That was his thing. I didn't know he'd be a guy like, hey, work the half wall on the power play and just head fake guys, stick fake guys, open up passing lanes and deliver dimes. I didn't know he'd be a guy, breakout, just set set Bertuzzi free, set Larkin free. Like there was a goal, I can't remember which game it was, where he's at center ice and he throws the sickest little saucer pass. I think he led Bertuzzi or he led Larkin. Larkin swings it to Bertuzzi and Bertuzzi just houses it. I didn't know he was going to be a playmaker. I knew he would be finishing the offense. I didn't know he'd be initiating it too. I didn't know he'd be a maestro. And people want to say, oh, where like where are the Larkin points? Where are Larkin goal? Where are Larkin's goals? Where guess what? Larkin's never played with a guy that he can say, here, you take it. I'm going to get open. Now he can. Larkin can feel good, sleep fucking 10 hours like a baby at night. Give the puck to Lucas Raymond, do whatever he wants, and trust that Lucas Raymond will make the right play, will find him, will open up a passing lane. He can do that now. He's never been able to do that. And conversely, Bertuzzi's been awesome this year too, by the way. Conversely, now when he has the puck, he knows, hey, Lucas Raymond's going to be exactly where he needs to be. Exactly. The thing about hockey too, like especially watching these games – it's one thing, yes, to have an incredible shot. It's one thing to have sick hands, all that shit, like the the physical tools. Yes, those are important. Those help. Anthony Mantha, he had a sick shot. You know what really helps you score goals? You know why guys like Ovechkin, right, DeBrinket, just pot goals like it's nobody's business? It's because those dudes, whether it's a sixth sense or just studying the game, whatever you want to call it, hockey IQ, those guys know where to be to score goals. They know, hey, when when Jonathan Taze, if it's Patty Kane, when Jonathan Taze has the puck, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna hang out around here. Right? Ovechkin, when Backstrom's got the puck, I'm gonna go over here. Now, when Larkin's got the puck, Raymond knows exactly where to be. He knows where the puck's gonna go next. He knows where the puck might rebound out to. He he knows where the third pass might be looking to. He knows. He gets himself open. He knows where Larkin wants him to be. When Larkin wants to make the pass, he's there. He's been lighting it up. Larkins look better. Go fucking figure. Put talent with talent. They all look better. But I got to say, the Red Wings have been great. And whatever happens, I know people, I made a TikTok saying, <laughs> just like ranting about how great they've been. People are saying, oh, long season. We'll see what happens. They're young. They've played bad teams. Whatever. They look like they're going to deliver on all I wanted them to deliver on, which is this. Which is this. They're going to be competitive. They won't take shit from anybody, which they started from the fucking get-go. And the guys that should start performing, the guys that should be exciting, the guys that should make dangerous plays have done so, right? Like, I'm not expecting Giovanni Smith and Mitchell Stevens to fucking light it up. I'm not expecting them to get a dangerous chance every time they they take a shift. Fuck no. But when I, when the first line does, when the second line does, when most, when those guys are out there, I would like to see some things happen. I would like to see that they belong. I know Lucas Raymond's 19, right? I know Larkin's coming off whatever his neck surgery or whatever it was. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I want to see those guys because at some point, rebuild or not, they're going to have to perform. They're going to have to compete. They're going to have to look like they belong. 
And they've done exactly that. I mean, the Red Wings are fucking in it right now. That's all you can ask for. All you can ask for, just make the 82 interesting. Keep me for 82. Make it interesting for 82. Don't let me check out at game 60. Three, two, and one, seven points. That'll go all day. God damn, Carolina six and oh. That's fucking annoying, dude. But be interesting, Red Wings. That's all you can ask. That's all they've done. And it's been incredible to watch. I fucking love hockey. I love when the Red Wings are interesting. That's the best part, too. It's like they play Washington um, tomorrow or today when this comes out. Washington's probably the better team. Washington should probably win the hockey game. I'm going to go in saying, Red Wings, uh, why not? Why wouldn't the Red Wings win tonight? I'm going to go in saying Lucas Raymond's going to do some cool shit. Larkin's going to do some cool shit. I'm going to go in excited to see what happens, whether they win, whether they lose. I'm going to be entertained. They're going to make some plays. They are making watching the games worth it. That's all you can ask. All right, one last break. Pistons are 0-3. <laughs> they, could, they couldn't be more opposite of the Red Wings to start the season. They both started in a similar kind of frame of mind preseason, like, hey, let's see the young guys take another step. Let's be interesting. Let's be competitive. Make some cool shit happen that makes me happy. I tuned into the game. Uh-uh, Pistons have been fucking bad. 0-3, Kate hasn't even touched the floor. I don't really want to talk about the Stones themselves because I only really watched opening night. I want to talk about Killian. Everybody's ripping on Killian. I made a TikTok about it. It's annoying the shit out of me, to be honest. He's 20 years old. He's played 30 games, 30 games in the NBA. Guys are ready to move off him. He plays lockdown defense, and we've seen flashes of, of, of his playmaking and passing ability. Everyone's upset he's not fucking James Harden. What? What? When, 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 who told you that? Who told you he was going to be getting 30 a game? Who told you he was going to be getting, getting 20 a game? Oh, yeah, and by the way, he's 20 years old and has only played 30 games. So let me take a quick break. We'll do some more stuff. It's well documented. It is well documented. I'm not the biggest Pistons guy in the world. I certainly am not a guy that watches all 82. I'm not a big like basketball breakdown guy, if that makes sense. I never played organized growing up, but I've played a good amount like pickup shit like that. I feel like I have a good understanding. I've watched a ton of college basketball and last few years more NBA, but I feel like I have a good understanding of what good basketball looks like. Like I, I think I have the ability to watch a guy play a game or two and go, all right, he's either got it or he doesn't. Um, and there is a an epidemic, an epidemic occurring amongst Detroit Pistons fans when it comes to our former seventh overall pick, Killian Hayes. I can't, for the life of me, figure out what the fucking deal is with Detroit people and Killian. I can't figure it out. It seems to me everybody hates this guy. Now, there's the Eli Boshies of the world, shout out Eli, and others that are defenders that aren't hate to say it, but the most impatient human beings on earth, but everybody else, the masses, the mob, it's like, oh my God, Killian Hayes, the worst basketball player to ever touch an orange object. We got to get rid of him yesterday. I don't understand the hoopla and the desire for people to get rid of him. Let me just run down. I already kind of prefaced it coming into this. Let me just run it back real quick. Let me run it down who we're talking about. Like I said, seventh overall pick from the Euro League. Um, he was 18 when we drafted him. Either way, he's 20 years old now. Okay. 
He's played in 30 NBA games. Can we can we make sure that sinks in? If you're listening right now, I hope you're really listening. Make a note, 30, 33, and then a zero NBA games. Okay. He was never supposed to be James Harden. He was never supposed to be Lou Williams. Get you 20 points, 30 a night. Never was promised. Never was part of the deal at all. That's like going to a Chinese, you go to Chinese restaurant and then you're drinking water all the next day and you're like, whoa, that's weird. What happened? Oh, oh, you went to eat Chinese. Killian Hayes, people acting like, wait, he can't score. Brother, who the fuck told you he could score? When was that the reason he was getting drafted? The reason he was taken, the reason he's on the team, the reason I'm sitting here right now saying, fucking relax. The guy's 30 games in. The reason this is all happening, lockdown defender, which he has been, he was great last year as a rookie. Normally, rookies kind of stink at defense. He was great last year. He's been very good this year. He's lanky. He's got long arms. He tries on defense. He has good hands. He knows like he's good at anticipating where the ball is going to go next. Good defender, which, again, I'm not an NBA guy. I'm not like a diehard worldwide wob. But I know enough. I know that especially I feel like at the guard position in the NBA, a lot of them don't love playing defense. A lot of those guys that kids have posters of on their walls, <laughs> funny enough, fucking suck at defense. No offense, Dame Lillard. Love Dame. One of my favorite players. CJ McCollum, he's sweet too. Both incredibly bad at defense. Incredibly bad. Like the reason Portland always loses, oh, your guards are going to get 70 points dropped on them because they fucking suck at defense. That's like half the game. I don't know if people realize that. I know we get caught up. Like, you don't see Bleacher Report. You don't see highlights of Killian Hayes playing lockdown defense and forcing his guy to pass the ball. You don't see guys contesting shots. You don't see guys forcing bad shots. Like, defense doesn't make the highlight tape. Defense doesn't make the stat sheet, right? Unless it's a steal or a block. But good defense where you can test the shot, force a bad shot, whatever, doesn't make the stat sheet. It's half the game. I know it's not sexy. I know it's not cool. Like, they're not making NBA top shots of a good defensive possession from the fourth game of the regular season. <laughs> I understand. It's half of the game, though. Like, Put it in this perspective. I did that. I did that episode on the second string podcast where I talked about the worst human or the worst type of uh, pickup people, the worst people to play with when you play pickup. I think number one on the list was the guy who plays no defense. Think about that for a second. We're talking about a professional league. Guys are getting paid tens of millions of dollars to play basketball. And there are still guys that go out there each night and are like, ah, like I'll play a little defense, I guess. Think about that. Think of how fucking annoying it is when you play and the the you let's say you're the point guard and the two guards just like leaves his dude, lets his guy get open shots, lets him go by. Think of how fucking annoying that is when you're playing at an LA fitness with nobody watching but the guys who got next. Think of how fucking frustrating it is when your teammates don't play defense there. We got guys at the highest level of the sport that still show up day in and day out and are like, yeah, I'm probably going to pla- just pass on the defense tonight. <laughs> Thanks, though. I'll take 10 threes. Yeah, I'm not going to – no, I don't want to guard anybody. That's not – pass. I don't want to – you guys can guard them, I guess. Or we'll play five on four. Either way, I'm cool. Half of the game. 
is defense. People forget that Killian locks. A lot of guards in this league don't play great defense. Imagine if Killian can figure out the offensive side. And I said he wasn't, you know, he's not supposed to be James Harden. Nobody ever said he's going to come to the league and be a pure scorer and fill it up every night, 30 a game. I don't understand really why people seem to like have that in their heads. Like they're shocked that he's not getting buckets every night. Why? Why are you shocked at that? First off, again, for the billionth time, I'm going to keep saying it just so people realize how fucking ridiculous they're being. It's 30 games in. Who said by game 30, Killian would be averaging 20 a night? Who the fuck told you that? Whoever it is doesn't know anything. His offensive prowess comes from having the ball in his hands and making plays, finding open shooters, which, by the way, the two best shooters on the team were the two guys who were supposed to be the best shooters on the team. Sadiq and Frank Jackson have been horrible this year from three, right? He's averaging three assists a game. I think the team I saw stat shoots like 22% on Killian Hayes passes. That's fucking embarrassing. Not all his fault, right? He was a guy that was going to get you 10, maybe 15 points, but he'll get you 10 assists, and he's going to play great defense. What's up at the seventh spot? You you don't want that? Hang on. Hell, hold on for a sec. He's already playing great defense, okay? Yeah, he, he went scoreless in the opener. Tough scene. 12-burger the other night, though. Shout out, Killian. But if he can get up 10, 15 a night, and you get Cade in the lineup, like another guy who can make open shots, and these other fucking bums start making shots for him. He starts averaging 15 and 10 and plays great defense, along with Cade, who's another great defender, and Sadiq and Grant and, and Stu, who are all good defenders. Why would anybody in their right mind want to move off that? He's 30 games in. I know he's not averaging 15 and 10. Guess what, dude? Giannis didn't average 20 a night until year four. Guess what? Terry Rozier, Fred Van Fleet, same shit. There's like 10 more dudes. You can look up the list. Look at the list of guys who weren't averaging 20 a night until their third, fourth, fifth year in the league. Look up the list of guys. Jalen Brown's another. Listen, look up the list of guys who weren't all-stars until their fourth, fifth, sixth. It's 30 games in, he's 20 years old, and everybody's like, get rid of him because he's not averaging 20. What the fuck are people talking about? And the other thing, the other aspect that bothers me, a big thing that bothers me is what I just said, like guys like Giannis. So you're telling me Pistons fans, you guys would have shipped out on Giannis? Uh Uh-oh, he's not averaging 20 a night. And Giannis probably should have been a more uh, higher score than Killian based on player type, based on roles, based on skill sets. You're telling me Giannis would have been a Piston if within the first four games of year two he wasn't averaging 20, you'd want to give up on Giannis? How fucking stupid does that make you feel? That bothers me too. Everybody just instant gratification. Dude, relax. He's played 30 fucking games. There are a plethora of guys who didn't have a name for themselves three, four years in. And now it's like, holy shit, I'd give everybody to have him. Last thing that absolutely drives me nuts. All these people want to hate on killing. First off, the negative aspect annoys me. I said it with Dan Campbell. What does being shitty, what does being negative about a kid who's 20 years old and has played 30 games, how's that helping? What's that doing for Killian? What's that going to do? Just saying he stinks, running up Twitter, Killian stinks, get rid of him. What is that helping? Don't you want him to be good? Shouldn't you want your seventh overall pick to be a good player? What is that doing for anybody? But the thing that drives me nuts beyond anything else, the Detroit Pistons, like I said, 
like I said, I'm not the biggest Pistons guy, right? I'm not fucking leading the parade. The biggest thing that drives me crazy when I think about like the identity of the Pistons or, or the, the identity of Pistons fans, kind of the mantra, kind of a, a theme within the Pistons fan base. It's the disgrace or the, the anger at how many guys the Pistons have missed on, whether that's in the draft, right? Plenty of stories about that. Or even more, I think, specific to the Pistons and something that gets brought up a lot, how many guys did the Pistons have that they got rid of and all of a sudden it's like, oh, I wish that guy still played for Detroit. Chris Middleton. Remember Chris Middleton? You guys heard of that guy? He just won an NBA title. He's the second fiddle to Giannis. He's an absolute baller. Oh, Pistons got rid of him. He could have been a Piston. You guys remember Spencer Dinwiddie? Plays for the Brooklyn Nets, one of the best teams in the NBA. Good player, good bench player. Comes off, gets buckets. Pistons said, eh, no thanks. Now an NBA contender has him, and he plays for them. I don't know if there's a bigger legacy within the Detroit Pistons than having guys and letting guys go. Yet, the Pistons have a guy that they took at seven overall that has potential. You look at him. He's lanky. He's got a good body. He plays great defense. He tries. He's got a good mind for the game. He's a good passer. You have a guy who you got at seven who has potential, who already is doing things right. Everybody wants to talk about how Killian's not scoring. How come nobody wants to talk about how Killian's awesome at defense and he's 20 years old? Zach Levine's fucking sick at scoring. Zach Levine gets is going to average 30 this year. Zach Levine is an all-star bucket getter. Zach Levine hasn't done dick with the Chicago Bulls. And guess what else Zach Levine doesn't do? Play a fucking ounce of defense. Yet, Killian locks up. Killian has half the game down. Pat, as a 20-year-old. And we want to get rid of him? Do people not fucking remember Chris Middleton? All I hear when I talk to Pistons fans, oh, my God. We had Chris Middleton. We had Spencer Dinwin. We, we got rid of these guys. We have no patience. Where's the fucking patience? Kid's 20, 30 games in. Half of the game he's good at. Half of the game most guards aren't good at. He's good at. He can pass. We've seen he can pass. He can throw passes. He knows where the passes are going to be. Okay. What happens when he starts averaging 12, 15 a game? Okay, you got a guy who averages 15 and 8, 15 and 9, 15 and 10, and he plays very good defense. <laughs> imagine, imagine getting rid of that dude 30 games in because, oh, he was a bust 30 games in because he didn't average 20 a night when he was 20 fucking years old. Imagine, imagine we have Cade and he's putting up like 25 and 5. We got, I don't know, Sadiq putting up. These are generous fucking numbers. Sadiq's putting up like 20 and, and 5, 20 and 4. I don't know. But imagine like two, three years from now, everybody's kind of cooking. All these guys that we think we have something with are cooking. And then we don't have the guy. We don't have the Rajon Rondo, except with defense. We don't have the 15-point 10 assist guy, the playmaker, the guy who initiates the offense and gets the ball to the open person every time. We don't have the guy who, hey, that you have Dame Lillard and C.J. McCollum, guess what? Cade and Killian are going to do about as good as anybody can on them. Imagine when that day comes and we don't have Killian Hayes. 
listen, the thing is, I'm not saying he's going to win an MVP five years from now. I'll be the best player. When a guy does half the game at a very high level, especially for his age, and you've seen flashes when it comes to passing the ball and initiating the offense, yeah, the shooting needs to come along. Yeah, the scoring. Why would you give up on that guy 30 games in? What sense does that make? And especially when you come, we are an organization like the Pistons where you've been plagued by giving up on guys and giving away guys that were something and missing on guys that were something. Why? And what would be the rush either? It's, I don't know. Drives me nuts seeing it. It drives me fucking nuts. I just hate, it happens with the lines. It happened with Hawk. I remember people will deny it. I have friends that deny it, that said they weren't ripping on Hawk and saying he was a bum. They will deny it, but they did. When Hawk was a rookie, this guy sucks. Now look at him. He's a top four tight end in the league. Why? What is everyone's obsession with every time a rookie isn't fucking God in their first season? He's a bum. I can't stand it, especially in a city like Detroit where the sports has been trash for the last six, seven years. And you can't afford to make a seven or overall pick and give them away to the fucking Lakers or someone and let them turn into a stud. Drives me nuts. All right, folks. That's all I got today. Hope you have a phenomenal week. We're going to be right back here tomorrow with the Pierce de Resistance, Michigan, Michigan State. It's going to be 45 minutes, an hour. We'll see. Michigan, Michigan State. That's all. Hope everybody has a good day. Appreciate you guys listening, everybody who supports and shares likes, subscribes, comments, all that good shit. Really appreciate you guys. Um, I'll talk to you tomorrow, though. Big day. Fucking buckle up, baby.